Well, as I mentioned before, um, this is uh, Sunday in Lent as we, we march towards Holy Week, towards Easter. And this has been a, uh, a season where Christians uh, traditionally have used as a, a time of prayer, of fasting, of almsgiving is kind of the, um, I don't know, the traditional religious word, but just of supporting the poor and giving, giving gifts. And uh, our hope in participating in Lent as a follower of Christ is to make it special. That this isn't just an ordinary holiday that we're, we're kind of, that's just a speed bump on our way through the spring. And, and I even feel that myself, man, this uh, last week, I normally coordinate all of the uh, basketball brackets. And I, I know that some of you are still stinging uh, from, from your brackets being busted or for teams being beat. Um, but the tournament started and I saw, I saw the first game, uh, you know, the score come across my computer, and I went, it's March Madness? I, I totally missed it. Like, I don't even know how. Like, I guess I've been so focused or so busy this spring or something, but I'm normally the one who, like, coordinates the, the like, league with my family and friends, and that's when I'm like, well, it shows you how much they care about that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess it's just all me driving this. Like, I'm going to go join another league. Uh, no, I think that that's, it's just like, wow, sometimes in life, uh, it just moves fast. And Easter is in the spring. It can feel like that. It's just a speed bump. So Lent is a really, really helpful tool to help us to get ready. And our Lenten sermon series has been on prayer. Prayer is essential for people of faith. New Testament writers considered it, like just assumed that was kind of a mark of, of faith for people who are following Christ. And as followers of him, we have this really long and beautiful and full tradition of prayer that we've received, you know, first from God's people, Israel, but then having it being passed on from generation to generation of Christian through the centuries. And it was modeled by Jesus, Jesus himself. And the first lesson that we learned from Jesus on prayer was that Jesus prays on the go. And you know, it's people living in a very fast-paced uh, culture 2,000 years later. What can we learn from him about prayer? And what we see in the life of Jesus is this merging of lots and lots and lots of daily activity, but also of an obvious uh, daily rhythm and repetition of prayer. And what we see in Jesus's life is this certain attitude towards busyness and towards a relationship with God. I really doubt that he was trying to squeeze more prayer into his busy life. I think he was squeezing life into his prayers. And if we can ever wrap our brain around that concept, that idea, like really my life is about prayer and living in the presence of God, and I have these other things that I'm trying to fit into it. I think that's a fundamental starting point for us in, in trying to slow things down and be more aware of God's presence in our life. The second lesson we learn from Jesus is that he prays for us. The technical word is called interceding. And the basic meaning of that means that you're speaking to someone on behalf of someone else. And Jesus now, you know, where is Jesus now? He's, he's at God's right hand in heaven. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that he's seated there interceding for us. 
that Jesus is doing that on our behalf. The third lesson was about Jesus praying authentically. And Phil taught us that, you know, our attitude in prayer, especially that of humility, is critical. And that God receiving or God hearing our prayer has less to do with how, you know, put together or religious our life might appear or polished. It has more to do with our humble acknowledgement that we need him. And then last week, Jesus was praying for harvest workers. And we learned that we live in a time and a place where the kingdom of God requires all hands on deck. Not just the paid Christian professionals, but the body of Christ. All of us are needed and wanted and invited. And that God wants us to be a kingdom influencer among family, friends, acquaintances, wherever we may go in our life. And we also talked last week about how Jesus made requests of God. You know, he wasn't demanding. He, he didn't have a sense of entitlement. Uh, his tone when he spoke to God the Father was very relational, very conversational. And that that's something that we're striving for in our own relationship with God, that we would want to get to that point. Rather than when we sit and we make requests, because all of us do, God help me here, God we pray for this person, you know, whatever it is, that it's not like we're sitting at the bargaining table with God. God, you need to do this. But instead, it becomes this natural conversation that we're having with God all the time. And over and over and over again, we see in the life of Jesus that he prayed. If we read between the lines, he prayed a lot. So if I wanted to learn how to pray, what could I learn from Jesus? What can we learn about prayer? And today I want to raise an issue that I've often wondered about. It has to do with, and I, I didn't really know how to phrase this, but it has to do with how, how can I be better at prayer? And I don't, I don't know if that's, like I said, that's the right way to say it. Uh, it kind of puts the focus on perfecting techniques rather than what I think prayer is really intended for is to help build our relationship with God. But I believe there's an underlying question that all of us have. It operates in many of our minds. And it's like this. It's like, how can I be more effective in my prayer so that the likelihood of my prayer receiving a positive answer is increased? You know what I mean? It's like, how, how, how can... How can, I, how can I do that? How can I be more effective in prayer? Because my belief is that God can and will help me. And I pray, fully hoping, that he's going to answer positively. I think a lot of us would say that. And over the years, I've grown in my relationship with the Lord to understand, you know, that's, maybe that was my starting point for wanting to pray but I realize now that's not the only reason why I pray. But nevertheless, how can we all become more effective in our prayers? And so the passage from Luke chapter 11 that we're, we actually used this morning when we prayed the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to use the whole chapter. Man, now you're nervous, aren't you? It's not very long, okay? It's, it's chapter 11. We're going to do the whole thing. And it's all about this kind of theme about Jesus teaching on prayer. And he teaches us to pray shamelessly. 
is the word we're going to use. Shamelessly. And over the years, I've heard this chapter taught, or, or maybe the better word is to say that I've heard this as like a cure for unsuccessful prayer. And you'll see why in a minute, maybe I was a little misguided in my thoughts there. But a few minutes ago, we read the Lord's Prayer, and I, I just wanted to start off with, you know, what was it like for you to pray through that version? What was it, what was it like? Maybe a little unfamiliar. Um, I don't know. Does it seem like it was too short? Like this should keep going? I mean, how was that for you? Did you notice how it all began? It said one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So we're not the first followers of Christ to ever have this question. Like, how can we get better at this? I mean, the, the 12 disciples themselves asked Jesus this. Uh, they obviously noticed that when Jesus prayed, like things happened, like next level kind of happening. So maybe Jesus, you can help us out here. And so they ask, they ask, teach us to pray. And I've always wondered, what took them so long? Right? I mean, how, many, how far are they into this here? A couple years already of following Jesus around, of seeing him pray and do, you know, and you know, the, the storm ceases, he prays, and people are healed, he prays, and demons leave, and people are fed, and miraculously, it, it's amazing. I mean, wouldn't you think that they would have asked a little, a little sooner? Jesus, how, how do we do this? And from Jesus' perspective, like, don't you think he would have taught them that sooner? I mean, maybe I'm alone here. If it was me that was starting a movement, I would make this the highest priority. I'd make sure that everyone knew the right way to pray from day one. But that's me. Jesus is different. Jesus leads by example. Jesus just prays. He prays and prays and prays until someone eventually asks, hey, how do you do this, Lord? And notice his answer is basically, well, try this. So here at our church, this represents a little shift that we're trying to make uh, as a church body, as, as um, a, me as a pastor, us as a congregation. And the shift that we're trying to make is taking a step towards an approach to learning and growth that's not just information-based and educational-based, but that is more experiential in nature or training-based. You know, Jesus' culture reinforced this. It was, it was kind of an, apprenticeness, uh, an apprenticeship sort of culture, a discipleship culture. And so, you know, we would do this together, and then along the way, you'd kind of fill in pieces of information. It's a very great model of learning. You know, and our cultural mindset is almost the opposite. Well, let's teach you all the information that you could ever possibly know first, and then we'll do it maybe, right? And so we know a whole lot of needless trivia that's totally useless to us, right? But, you know, this little shift that we could make 
I think, will make a significant uh, difference in our, our, our own personal faith and our growth as followers of Jesus. But the thing here that really jumps out at me is about motivation. You know, it's striking that Jesus didn't insist they learn how to pray until the disciples themselves thought they were missing something. He just waited. It's like, well, at some point, they're going to want to know how to do this better. They'll ask. You know, instead of saying, hey, you should pray, he just kind of prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed until they got to the point where they're like, you know, Jesus, could you teach me more about this? I think that's really significant. The fact that the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke exists in a, in a similar and yet different form from the Gospel in Matthew is also important. It tells us that prayer is a pattern. Prayer is a pattern, it's not a formula. What I mean by that is a formula would, would mean that we're always and only to pray these specific words as we encounter them in the Lord's Prayer. But that's not what Jesus provided. He gave us a pattern. If it was a formula, then all the words in Matthew and all the words in Luke would be identical, wouldn't they? But they're not. They're similar. There's kind of the same themes there, but it's not identical words. And um, so this tells us much about how Jesus prayed and how we can be more effective in our prayer. Is it about using just the right words? No. Is it about praying in the correct format so that God will hear me better? No. Jesus says, just, just pray. Just have a conversation with God. Try this, is what he says to his disciples. So the Lord's Prayer is a model. It's not magic. I, I get a little weirded out uh, every time I, I hear someone talk about the need to pray in Jesus' name. Have, have, you, have you heard that? And, and Jesus actually tells us to use his name. So this is a good thing. We should pray in Jesus' name. We're invited to pray. We're given permission to pray in Jesus' name. But it's about his authority that's being shared with us. It's not, oh my goodness, I forgot to say in Jesus' name, now my prayer is null and void. Okay? I mean, that's a little bit like Harry Potter. You know, like, if we don't get the words right, instead of being healed, my mom is going to turn into a toad or something, you know? I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds, th that's sometimes our mindset. It's like, oh, I have to get just the right words. I have to say just the right thing. No. Just talk to the Lord. Jesus also suggests um, that uh, he, he continues on in his instruction following this Lord's Prayer piece. And we're going to spend some time. There's three illustrations that he kind of gives to us. And it starts in verse uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And I want you to listen here to the overall story. It's really easy to get sidetracked in some of the details and you're wondering about what. And if you catch yourself doing that, that's okay. Just tell yourself to go back. Just listen to the overall story and try and imagine yourself in the scene, okay? We'll put this up on the screen for you. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There you go. Let's all go home. We're done, right? Uh, this passage has always been a mystery to me. It's one of those where you go, okay, next chapter. Uh, I fail to understand how stories about an unwelcome nighttime visitor and giving your kid a scorpion actually apply to prayer. All right? I don't think I'm the only thing here. In, in fact, I, it's that one phrase, even though you are, even though, if then, you, though you are evil, that makes me remind, I used to um, read my kids, oh man, I just blanked now, the, the story about the bull, not Figaro. Ferdinand. Yeah, my favorite line in that whole story is like, he's talking about his mom. Ferdinand, his mom, even though she was a cow. And then he, you know, he goes on. It's like, even, oh, thanks, thanks, thanks for that compliment, you know. Well, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. It's like, oh, thanks, thanks, right? I digress. It's really tempting to just skip over these three illustrations. But there's a significant clue or, or maybe a better way to say it is, there's a cue here that will help us pray. And the cue is that we have to understand who we're talking to. Understand who you're talking to when you pray. We're praying to the Father. And this whole section is bookended by the mention of the Father. So uh, you'll, you'll see this in verse 2. We'll put, there's a slide here that in verse 2 and in verse 13, uh, they both mention it's right in line there. It should be. It has some highlighted, uh, the one before that. There we go. So verse 2 begins, Father, hallowed be your name. And then the last verse, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? So that's kind of a, a, a little sandwich, a little clue here to what's going on. As a side note, the word for father that Jesus uses isn't the Aramaic term Abba. Have you, have you heard that for Abba, father? It's, it's actually in right here. It's a Greek term, which who, I doubt that he was praying in Greek. He was probably praying in Aramaic, which would have been Abba, but it's significant that it's not here in scripture because I don't know about you, but I, I've always heard that Christians should pray like Jesus who called God Abba. And that's not necessarily wrong. But I, I've, I've noticed uh, that Abba has taken a life of its own that may not be altogether warranted. And I'm going to pause here for just a minute because, you know, this is a pastoral pet peeve. 
uh, that, that I'm going to unleash on you, all right? But it actually does have a point. The pet peeve is this. Um, it, was, it used to be popular to, to say that Abba was the equivalent of praying daddy. And I know that I, I won't admit that I've ever done this publicly, okay? But I probably have. You know, oh, oh daddy. And that's not wrong. But the reason behind it is a little needs adjustment. Uh, all the best New Testament scholarship 50 years ago uh, knew that Jesus, used, he praises in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father. And then t- twice again in the New Testament, it's mentioned that God is our Abba, Father. And so it's clear that the early church was repeating that, you know, there's, his, there's something behind that there. Well, what does Abba mean? And they would, they would look and they could only ever find this word used by little kids like toddlers. And so the assumption was, well, this is like Jesus praying to his father. Like he sees God, like he's like a toddler and he's calling his father daddy. But then with the advent of digitized manuscripts and search engines, scholars realized like, oh, Actually, adult children at that time period in that culture still called their father Abba. So it's not just this little kid term for God. It's, it's actually this really endearing and warm family term that people had for their father. So when Jesus says Abba, is he, is he saying daddy? Well, yeah, maybe, but he, it also might, it's like dearest dad. Or dear father. I mean, there's this warm tone. It's not this standoffish, you know, you know, father who I have no relationship whatsoever. There's a very close intimacy when Jesus prays Abba. And he really does mean that when he talks about God, his father. And so um, effective prayer isn't about using the right words or term of address. It's really about our relationship. It's with who we're addressing. Got to understand who we're talking to. And so Jesus has enabled those of us who believe in him to call God their father. And through Jesus, we learn that he's a generous, faithful father who knows our needs. What Jesus says in this passage is a continuation of what he's teaching on prayer. And it's really easy to kind of fall into this discussion on technique, like how do I do this, Lord? You know, pray this way, pray at this time, pray using these words. And um, unfortunately, this first illustration of Jesus, which we call the friend at midnight, is often interpreted as, well, you just need to persist in your prayers. You need to bang on the gates of heaven and just keep pounding until God answers your prayer. And that's as if the most effective way for us to pray is to just repeat it over and over and over again. And the word that gets translated, which makes us think that we should do that, no one knows how to exactly get the right English meaning. So the translation we use is shameless audacity. Uh, If you look at other English translations, you'll see things like persist, persist. importune. Have you ever heard that word? Pray with importunity. Do you know what that means? $5 for anybody who knows. (laughs) It means to harass 
persistently. So Jesus is telling us to pray like we're harassing God persistently over and over and over again. Uh, spoiler alert here. No, 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 I don't, I don't think he is. I mean, he's not telling us not to be persistent, but that's not the whole focus here of what Jesus is trying to say. Um, I, I used to have, well, I used to have, when I was growing up, going to vacation Bible school, there was one of my friends, mom was the teacher. Her name was Fran. And Fran was the soprano in our church choir. And she's not unlike Lacey in that she could hold down the whole soprano section by herself. Okay, so amazing voice. Fran was uh, joyful, joyful, joyful. And I remember something that Fran used to repeat on prayer. She taught us to it as kids, but she would say it, you know, she's always say it. She's like, you know, sometimes when you pray, God gives you this green light. Sometimes when you pray, you get a red light. And then often when you pray, it's just a yellow light. What does that mean? It means you kind of slow down. You pay attention. It's not really a green light, not really a red light. You wait. And as I've thought about that over the years, I've thought, that is just so wise. Yeah, it's not that God said no, it's not that he said yes, but there's something else going on here. And so maybe that is a reason that I just need to persist over and over and over again in this, in this prayer, or maybe not. But the focus on persistence, I believe, misses the main point here of Jesus's illustration. It makes all the difference. He says, suppose you got a friend. It's a hypothetical question. He invites us to envision the scene. And the disciples would have known something that we didn't. They would have known that all the bread in, those, in that house would have been baked and consumed that day. There's no refrigerator. There's no preservatives. There's no nothing like that. So it's a ridiculous request. Of course I don't have any bread. It's midnight. I'd have to start the oven, which is probably outside in this huge masonry thing, and wait two hours to bake some, okay? No, I don't have any bread. So, th so that's kind of just laughable than anybody would ask. And there's nothing special or symbolic about three loaves. That was just like the number of loaves that people typically ate at a meal. But the other thing operating here is, you know, the understanding of Middle Eastern hospi hospitality is so strong that you would provide a meal and, uh, for, for someone who is visiting. And if you couldn't provide that meal, your village or your like neighborhood was obligated to step up and do that. All right? So the response here that this guy gives, I, I mean, they're going to throw him out of town, right? First of all, you have bread at midnight. And then he tells his friend, his friend, like, no, man. Go away. <laughs> He's not going to share it with them. That's just shocking. At this point, I almost guarantee the disciples are laughing. All right? This is just a ridiculous and preposterous example. And the other funny thing is, you know, peasant homes in this era, they were one room. They were a bedroom. They were a kitchen. They were all the, you know, living room, everything. And they were so close together that if some dude is banging on one door, everybody's awake. So the thought of this guy telling his neighbor to go away is ridiculous. 
And so I imagine, yes, the disciples giving a little laugh. But what Jesus is saying is that if an inhospitable neighbor will eventually grant the request of someone who asks, how much more will a loving father? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Well, of course your loving heavenly father would grant that. And so we pray and we keep praying not to overcome God's reluctance, but because we know who he is and we know he's gracious. We've got to understand who we're talking to. And then Jesus launches right into this next one. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So, of course, Jesus means pray expectantly, like God's going to hear you and answer. But the place where my mind always goes is pray expectantly for what, right? I'm going to pray for a million dollars. Oh, man, Lord, think of all the good and wonderful things that I could do with a million dollars. And maybe I should pray persistently and boldly with shameless audacity. So I'm going to say, God, give me a hundred million dollars. This, I think of all the great and wonderful things I could do for you. That's what Jesus is teaching us, right? No, no. To me, the location here of this sandwich between the other illustrations is really important. It's less about what we're praying expectantly for and who we pray expectantly to. Again, it's about our Father in heaven. Followers of Jesus pray persistently not to overcome God's reluctance, but because they know God will hear them. He'll answer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Finally, Jesus turns to the most wild illustration. This has to do with the reason and who we're praying to. We pray to a God who's a really good gift giver. And so Jesus says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Answer, no one. If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? No one. If you then, though you're evil, ha ha know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, God has given us, his children, the best gift that he ever could. It's his Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within those who believe in Christ. And the point of asking Jesus to teach us to pray uh, isn't to raise the likelihood of our success at prayer. That's just a byproduct of something else. It's a byproduct of our relationship with the Lord. And the reason Jesus was so dynamic in his prayers, especially the miracles that result from them, isn't because he's mastered some really special technique or awesome wording. It's because of who Jesus prayed to. It's because of the relationship that Jesus had with his Father. It's because of the prayers that he constantly prayed that sustained that relationship. And so maybe if we're concerned with praying effectively, all we really need to do is simply understand who we're talking to. We have a dear Father in heaven who loves us, who hears us, who's gracious to us. God's generous. God is faithful. 
He provides us with just what we need. And Jesus teaching us to pray has more to do with knowing God our Father and the relationship made possible through Christ with him and knowing that even God won't, God won't withhold himself from us. So if you want to be more effective in prayer, here it is. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's our Father in heaven looking over us and the relationship that we have, knowing and being known, loving and being loved, of hearing and being heard, of celebrating and being celebrated by God our Father. So let us pray. Lord, so often, so often we pray and we kind of just feel like we don't know what we're doing. And I don't know that you care. You just enjoy the relationship with us. Help us to understand who you are, who we're talking to. You're generous. You're faithful. You're just. You're loving. You hear us. Help us, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit to sustain that connection, to empower that connection that we have with you. Help us to pray just as Jesus prays. Amen.